And we're live, I think. I think we're live. <laughs> I can't tell. Oh, you know what? I didn't advertise the show. I'm looking. There's like nobody watching. All right, so I've got to go in and fix that. Give me one moment, ladies and gentlemen. So I'm going to copy the link. I'll tell you what I'm doing here so it's not super boring. I'm going to go to my other YouTube channel, a.k.a. Mr. Reagan. Why did I forget to do this? Well, I'm running very late today. Uh, crypto crashed today pretty much everywhere, and so I thought I'd put some more money in <laughs> because that's what I do when there's a dip. I don't pull my money out. I put more money in. I don't have a ton of money, but I have a little bit uh, that I can put in. And Why is Jordan Peterson uh, popular? Are gay people really born that way? Whites are the... Unity. Got to go to my community section. Go ahead and paste the link. Live now. I always put live now. Uh, okay. All right. Paste. Post. Okay. Now everybody should start. The millions and millions of viewers should start uh, rolling on in. Let's go ahead and switch my account back to toxic masculinity. All right. And we are We're now live. We're now chatting. We're now happy. There we go. Hello, everyone. Hello, paper plates. Hello, forbidden chocolate. Hello, Waylon Woolard. Hello, Pork Chop, pork chop Times. <laughs> Rick Rollers. Very nice. Yeah, so we had a huge uh, drop in uh, crypto pretty much everywhere because I think it was because Elon Musk said that crypto is bad for the environment, so he'll, he's no longer taking uh, Bitcoin for Teslas or something like that, and people, like, lost their minds. Um, so if you've, never, if you've never invested in crypto, now is a nice dip. Uh, to jump in at, um, I think this is probably the biggest dip we're going to see from Doge in quite some time. Um, you know, maybe there will be more. I don't know. But this seems pretty severe. Uh, I would like to say on a personal note, I uh, installed a mirror yesterday. Uh, I installed a light. I installed a light hardwired into the wall. Oh, that's a little bit too low, isn't it? Oh, a little, little revealing. I hardwired a light into the wall, which was is always nice. I put I put in a mirror, which took some very precision uh, uh, drilling, screwing, bolting, all that kind of stuff, and I and like a little shelf, like a little glass shelf. And I have to say, when you're drilling things and you're screwing things together, if you have a job like mine as a man, it's 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 a little emasculating. All right. I mean, I like my job. I love my job. I love what I do. I love analyzing the politics. I love presenting my perspective on these things and talking to you guys about it and working through these ideas and speculating about stuff and investigating stuff and getting all the... I love all that, right? Um, but you're not doing anything with your hands. And if you're a man and you're not doing man work... You know, you, you, you kind of crave it, to be honest. Like, if you, if you do it all the time, like when I was a kid, we used to remodel houses and stuff like that. My family did, and I would be working on that, and it got to be pretty exhausting and unpleasant. So if you do it all the time, it can get to be a bit tedious and unpleasant. But if you're a guy and you very rarely do man stuff because you have a job that's like mine, when you finally get to install a mirror and hardwire a light, oh, man, that feels great. <laughs> so I got done with that, and I was just like, I, th I feel like I've been injected with testosterone or something. Like, <laughs> fantastic, fantastic. So, uh, highly recommend 
remodeling your bathroom. I mean, it wasn't like a, I didn't like replace the tiles or anything, but you know what I mean. Uh, I got a few more shelves to put in, and then uh, the bathroom should be looking beautiful. Anyway, so that was a lot of fun. Uh, made you feel manly, didn't it? Said Jesus is God. Yes, it did. Yes, it did. Damn it. And uh, I, I think that's a good thing. I think guys should guys should get to do man stuff sometimes, and we don't always get to do as much man stuff as we would like because we're sitting at desks. Um, but anyway, uh, I think it's probably about time. Now, I should tell you, by the way, we do not have Valeria here today. Valeria, sadly, is is off working. But I will remember to do the intro. Remember, we are the least professional show on YouTube, and she is... Well, I'm masculine. She's toxic. No, that's the opposite. I'm toxic. She's masculine. Together, we are toxic masculinity. All right, let's do this intro. Toxic masculinity. Toxic masculinity. That's right. Okay, so let's. We got a lot of stories to cover today because there's a lot of weird stuff in the news. I like to. I like to cover the weird stories, and the primary reason why I like to do that is because you're probably going to hear the major news announcements pop up in your phone, or if you watch Fox or Newsmax or or, or uh, the Blaze or something, you're going to get all the big stories. But the the smaller, weird, bizarre stories uh, that you might not get. Uh, from mainstream news outlets, that's the stuff I like to go over because it's the kind of stuff you're just not going to get anywhere else. And so I like to provide that service to you, uh, something something you can't get anywhere else. So with that said, let me see here. What's the first? Oh, yes. Oh, this is a good one. Oh, this is a good one. All right, ladies and gentlemen, you ready for this? Bette Midler threatens to kill unvaccinated kids. That's right. Bette Midler wants to kill your children if you've gone unvaccinated. All right, what's what's going on here? Hold on one second. And I had to fix this. Um, all right, there we go. Done. I'm going to go ahead and just turn her off there. Okay, perfect. All right, so, yeah, Bette Midler wants to kill your unvaccinated kids. Um now, I, I didn't have time to read all these stories because I was dealing with my crypto stuff today while I was supposed to be going through the story. So this is all new for me, too. Let's have a look. Unhinged leftist Bette Midler threatens to kill unvaccinated kids. Um, okay, so this is her. Let's see here. So this is a tweet from Sonny McSunnyface. Well, let's just read the, the article. The entertainer Bette Midler has called for killing children who have not had COVID shots in a completely... Mental tweet aimed at anti-vaxxers. The unhinged middler advocated using peanut butter on kids with allergies if they haven't been vaccinated against coronavirus. Normally, anything coming out of her mouth is easily ignored, but this uh, this mind-to-keyboard splurge is particularly a particularly hot take. Uh, uh, Sunny McSunny Face says, "Get vaccinated, or I'm going to start killing kids with peanut butter allergies." Is definitely a sales pitch. Uh, and then they reposted Bette Midler's uh, tweet which says, if my kid can't bring peanut butter to school, then yours can't bring the deadly pl- plague. Vaccinate, or I'm bringing the jiffy. <laughs> uh, let's see, somebody else, Major Mom Vibes wrote, choosy moms choose jiff, and there's no FDA-approved pediatric co- coronavirus vaccine as of today. I'm not certain where... Ooh, hello. I hate it when they do that. Uh, not sure where you're going with this meme, but wishing death on children is certainly a call for (laughs) self-reflection. Let's see here. uh, Toasty Vibes wrote, threatening to kill kids if somebody doesn't inject their kids with 
with an experiment. What a great person you are. And yeah, that's a thing, you know, none of these vaccines are fully approved by the FDA. So um, I, I don't understand why there's this. Yeah, there's OK, we're not going to read through all these, but I don't understand why there is such a um, a pushback on anyone who is concerned about the virus, like or concerned about the virus, concerned about the vaccines, because it's it's a reasonable thing to be concerned about the vaccines. This idea that, like, uh, if you're not blindly accepting that these vaccines are safe, then you're a bad person. Um, I mean, I guess that's kind of how the lemming thing works, right? That's how uh, peer pressure and uh, uh, he's not cool. He's not one of us. You know, he's not one of the group. Um, I guess that's how it works, right? It works. That's how it works in like elementary school and high school and uh, apparently with moronic adults as well that it works that way. You'd think you'd get over that at one point. Like I like once I got into college, it occurred to me. Well, actually, for, for me, I was kind of lucky in high school. We didn't really have that. Uh, in my junior senior years, we had it uh, in, in more more in my, maybe like my freshman sophomore years, but junior senior years of high school, and then later on in college, I recognized that like that stuff doesn't happen anymore. Once once you get to a certain age, I think people stop re- like stop thinking that clicks and popularity are really important, and they start realizing that you know everybody has some individual value, and, and it doesn't really matter what um, if you're one of the cool kids or if you're one of the nerds or if you're one of the jocks. You'll probably, you probably have some value, you know, worth exploring by people. But uh, uh, no, now that uh, now that politics has gone crazy, there is this concept of the in group again, right? Are you in the in group? And uh, with Democrats, it has a lot to do with like whether or not you're gay or whether or not you're um, black or you know. Um, uh, a woman or a man, you know, it, all these things are critical to being in the in-group now on the on the Democrat side. And now one thing that's very important about being in the in-group is having been vaccinated. If you haven't been vaccinated, you're not in the in-group, you're not one of the cool kids, um, get the hell out of here. Hey, buddy. My, my cat wants to say hello. Yeah, you can come up. Yeah, well, I'm not going to go over there because I'm working. So either come up here or GTFO. All right, so, um, but okay, touch that. Um, he's like a dog. It's weird. Uh, yeah. So there's this has become almost sort of like a, but it's it's become more than just you're not cool. It's become you're an unethical person. You're a bad person. So much so that Bette Midler thinks that it's okay to kill kids if they've if they haven't got the vaccine because her, I assume that her thought process here is. Well, if you've not been vaccinated, that means that you could potentially get other people infected with COVID if you get COVID, and therefore you're a potential murderer, right? So, like, and if you're a murderer, then I can murder you. Um, I can do something I know will murder you. Uh, if you don't do something I want you to do that I think will make you a little bit less likely to spread a virus that you're probably not going to spread anyway. It's freaking weird, right? I mean, there are so many things that we can do during the day that are more dangerous than not getting vaccinated, right? I mean, there's just it's an unbelievable number of things. The, the primary one that comes to mind is driving, right? If your teenager is driving, I mean, lots of teenagers get into accidents all the time. They kill people all the time from driving. We let pretty young people drive because we're a country that believes that freedom is more important than safety, right? And so if, if you want to drive, 
we want to let you drive. I mean, obviously, we take some precautions. You have to get a, a permit. You have to get a license. You have to pass a test. But once you do that, you are free. You can drive. And we let a lot of dangerous people on the roads. So now should I say that uh, if Bette Midler lets her teenage kids drive, I have the right to murder them because they're dangerous? I mean, it's ridiculous. They're a hell of a lot more dangerous than uh, somebody who doesn't get a COVID shot. Um, yeah, so she's uh, she's clearly a lunatic here. I mean, I, I feel like you know she, she posts a lot of provocative things or like quasi-provocative things. Definitely some like leftist woke crap. And... I do think that at least in California, I don't know exactly where she lives. I assume that she at least has some connection to California because that's where you know all the movie stars, actresses, musicians, it's where a lot of them live. Um, at least around L.A. where I am, uh, yeah, you are not cool. Not, not only are you not cool, you're considered to be anathema, evil, if you are a conservative. So um, certainly I think Bette Midler wants to virtue signal to her lefty friends you know look how cool i am look how woke i am i'm posting these provocative things i'm trolling the right and, th and things like this um but the the really sad thing about that i think is that i i her motivation i i'm just speculating here but it seems to me that her motivation seems to be staying relevant staying relevant so she's she's no longer relevant, right? Who 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 is a fan of Bette Midler? I think I think every big Bette Midler fan is probably dead at this point. <laughs> like she, I don't think she has any fans left, right? Maybe, maybe there are some, but uh, I mean, no, who cares about Bette Midler? No, nobody, nobody, nobody. I think she was she was in Hocus Pocus, right? That's how everybody remembers her. Um, at least anybody my age. But yeah, she's uh. She's completely uh, irrelevant at this point. Nobody. She's a washed-up old, has-been actress, and um, I think she, to some degree, I think deep down, she recognizes that. And Twitter can give new life to washed-up actors. Um, look what's happened to Alyssa Milano. Alyssa Milano went from being a very successful young actress to to after the show Charmed, which she was in. Right, she show, started a show called Charmed. After that show ended, she was no longer relevant. And I've met a lot of people in Hollywood. I've mentioned this before. I've met a lot of people in Hollywood that are washed-up actors, right, that were really successful at one point but are no longer successful, and they are desperate for fame. They're not desperate to act. They're not desperate to be... I mean, they, they might say that, but at the end of the day, it boils down to they want fans. They want people to love them because they miss that, right? They had that. It was... A sort of euphoric feeling, euphoric time in their life. Everybody loved them. They could get into all kinds of special clubs and things, and and people were constantly giving them stuff, and the, their life was just great. They're going on cool vacations, and now nobody knows who they are. They're just kind of like nobodies, and this is very painful for somebody who was a really big star. A lot of times, not always, but but mo most of the time, I would say, if you. If you're a child star or you're a young actor and you're successful and then you stop being successful, it's very painful. I think that's kind of what ha what's happened to her. And so she's at the point now where um, she's realized that she can get attention. She can get attention if she goes on the Twitter and she says naughty things. And so she goes and says provocative things and she tries to be relevant. Um, but she's just a washed up old hag. Nobody cares about you, Bette Midler. Go back into your mansion and, you know, play your, uh, you know... 
app, video game, whatever it is that you do while you're biding your time waiting for death because nobody cares about you. That may sound harsh, but come on. She just said she wants a bunch of kids to die of peanut allergies. So, yeah, I don't care. I don't care. She's irrelevant. Moving on to the next story. Several of these stories are about the consequences of, of the messed up stuff that happened through COVID, and this one is no exception. Uh, story number two... Lockdowns create alcoholism epidemic in the UK. Uh, yeah, so in the UK, we've seen this massive rise in alcoholism ever since uh, the, the lockdown started. Oops. All right, there we go. Alcohol deaths in England and Wales rise to a 20-year high during the pandemic. Let's see here. <clears throat> Why is there a big S? I think they messed that up. Is that S for share? That doesn't make any sense. All right. The number of people dying of alcoholism consumption reached a 20-year high during the CCP virus epidemic. <laughs> the CCP virus. I love it. So it's not called the China virus, I guess? I don't know. Uh, official figures for England and Wales have shown, according to new data released on Thursday by the Office of National Statistics, uh, 7,423 people in England and Wales died of alcohol-specific causes in 2020. Um, the, the Oh, gosh. The highest total annual total since 2001. Um, that sucks. The number was 19.6% higher than 2019, during which 6,209 people were killed by alcohol. It was also the highest annual death toll uh, for 20 years. The steep rise in alcohol-related deaths appears to have been related to C the CCP virus pandemic. The ONS said that from January to March, before the first national COVID-19 lockdown began, the death rate from alcohol abuse was statistically similar to rates from previous years. However, over the rest of 2020, after the lockdown began, the death rate became significantly higher. Um, yeah, and so you have this issue where the cure is worse than the disease, right? Uh, is worse than the problem. So, and this is something that we were warned about. I mean, Trump warned about this fairly early on. People were like, oh, we need to do all these, like, you know, crazy measures. And Trump said, look, you don't want the cure to be worse than the problem. And, uh, you know, obviously the, the left criticizes him for saying stuff like that. But uh, that's that's absolutely true. It doesn't really matter if you're a Republican or you're uh, a Democrat uh, you'd never want the cure to be worse than the problem ever. I mean, Democrats don't care just as long as they stay in power, obviously. But, uh, you know, from a from a philosophical perspective, it shouldn't matter what your political party is. Um, that's just correct. Uh, at no point should, you know, you get a splinter in your toe and your and your doctor cut off your leg. Right. That's not an appropriate cure. It's worse than the than the original problem. So, um, and that's what we're doing, right? And I made a whole video about how lockdowns don't work, right? About how, um, because they've discovered now that, and this is a video I'm going to put out soon, they've discovered now that sunlight actually destroys the virus, I think something times like, like something like five times faster than they thought it would originally or something like that. Um, so sunlight basically just disinfects things immediately. Um, and also, but the, also the virus doesn't seem to last very long outside at night either. So it's not just sunlight. I mean, there's a variety of causes. Um, but the point is that, yeah, in the summer months uh, especially, uh, because sunlight is, is such a great disinfectant of COVID, uh, 
su- sun, you know, the sunlight uh, should reduce the numbers during the summer. Um, we were hoping that that would happen last summer. It didn't. Um, and it's possible, at least in part, that the reason that it didn't is because everybody was staying inside, right? Whether you had the virus or not, everybody was staying inside. Um, and that's really where the virus spreads. The virus really spreads inside. So if you lock everybody inside, that could potentially be very counterproductive, right? <laughs> um, you know, obviously some people have to leave their houses. We still need grocery stores to operate and stuff like that. But um, this idea that people should stay inside, um, the video that I produce, if you haven't seen it, you should watch it. It's a pretty good video because I showcase how at least one police uh, a police uh, office in the, in the United Kingdom, they got these drones and they would go out into the countryside and they would video people who were walking their dogs and they were out for hikes during the pandemic and they would they posted like a twitter video with all these um, messages that said like this hike is not a essential travel you don't need to be outside here walking around like you don't need to be outside enjoying the sunshine it's like guys you can't catch the virus outside it's almost impossible it's like very very unlikely you're going to catch the virus outside especially now one thing that struck me as uh, particularly um uh, well, so I, I was surprised. Was that what, what, we, what we call casual encounters, right? Like walking by somebody. Um, I had not heard the statistic before, but the number of people who had actually been infected or um, have been recorded to be have been infected by somebody jogging past someone or walking past someone outside. Zero. Zero. There was no recorded incidents of this ever um, for COVID. So there was some speculation that um, a viral that could spread very easily might spread this way. Um, But over the course of the pandemic, they realized it can't. Um, And so in hindsight, we realized that, in fact, stopping people from going on hiking trails and stuff like that was a terrible thing to do. especially if you don't even have coronavirus, right? If you're quarantining people without the virus, that's not quarantine. That's imprisonment, right? right. And so we see we've made a lot of mistakes. We've made a lot of mistakes. And this is one of the great consequences of that, right? The alcoholism in the UK. Um, You're not letting people go outside. You're not letting people enjoy their lives in any way whatsoever. What do you think is going to happen? Of course people are going to get depressed. Of course people are going to turn to alcoholism. Of course people are going to turn to drug use. Of course people are going to, uh, you know, turn to self-destructive things like suicide. Suicides are going to go up. And, I mean, you know, one thing I think is a huge problem, people are talking about how Joe Biden's um, welfare, uh, this is something I was actually going to report on, Joe Biden's welfare actually discouraged people from going back to work because there's so much welfare now um, in in terms of, uh, COVID aid and other kinds of things that they're putting out there that one, when people have the opportunity to go back to work, they're just like, I don't need to go back to work. I'm getting free money from the government and it becomes a disincentive for them to go out to work. Um, but I don't think that's the whole story. I think that that is, I think that's most of the story, but I think there's a big thing that we're missing here. And that this is something that I actually think that the, the Biden administration could capitalize on if they would recognize this and talk about it. But they're so they're so trapped in their sort of delusional bubble of leftism that they don't even see uh, uh, realities that could actually help them in terms of public relations and in terms of their public image. Um, 
But I do think that a big part of the problem is that people who would otherwise want to work and feel as if they are contributing to society and doing something good and whatnot um, have become very comfortable not doing anything, right? Uh, and what do I mean by that? So um, I get burned out a lot when I do this show, right? And so I'll take a week off sometimes. And when I take a week off, not very often, but maybe like, maybe like three times a year, I'll take a week off and I'll just, I'll just do nothing. And I, and I literally mean do nothing, right? Um, even when I go on vacation, I usually do some videos. Um, but there are certain weeks where I'm just like, okay, I'm burned out. I need to sort of regain my ability to do videos and I will just watch TV for a week, you know, maybe play a video game. I don't even like video games, but I'll just play a video game just to get I'll, I, I want to get politics out of my head. The whole concept of me taking these breaks, and usually they're not a full week. Maybe they're like three or four days. But I, I want to purge all the politics out. I want to purge everything about work out of my system. But if I take too long of a break, and if I get too comfortable just sitting around doing nothing, uh, what ends up happening is I become that becomes my routine. And changing that up and getting back to work seems like a, a, an unpleasant process. We have, um, we have a, an aversion, I think, to transitioning from one state to another because you have to have that acceleration, right? Once you're going, once you've got the ball rolling, like if I'm doing a show every single day, it's really easy for me to do a show every single day because I'm in that habit, right? Uh, uh, but if I, if I don't have any momentum, if I'm just sitting there and I haven't done anything for a week, I'm like, okay, what am I supposed to do again? Okay, I got to research something and write something down. And, you know, the whole process is like, I got to gather up all my things. And the best way for me to get started is to find a topic that I'm enthusiastic about, that I, to get inspired by, right? And that's usually how I start back up. If I've taken a couple of days off and I see a story that really inspires me, I get back to work and then I'm back on a roll, right? Um, so, I mean... It, so that's just me after a few days of taking a break. Imagine these people who have been taking months off of work, months, and they're making a good, they're making a decent amount of money just sitting at home doing nothing, playing their video games, doing nothing. So this prospect of getting back to work, of transitioning from a, from a sedentary state back into an active state, that's difficult for them, right? It's like, it's like being in an, on a nice warm day, jumping into ice cold water. It sounds like nice and refreshing, but once you stick your toe in, you're like, oh man, I don't know if I want to get into that. But then once you get in, it's actually quite nice. You know, it's actually not that cold, but it's that transition, right? It's that transition uh, that is a little bit uh, unpleasant. And yeah, the transition, I think, from the sedentary life of, of taking money from the government and getting back to work, I think is very daunting for a lot of people. Um, and so I think that the Biden administration is dealing with that as well. Um, they're you know, if people are in a position where they're suffering uh, a little bit, they're struggling, they're like, okay, um, I'm a little bit nervous, I'm stressed out, uh, you know, how am I going to pay my rent? How am I going to buy food? How am I going to, you know, get my life together? Then they're going to desperately be looking for a job, and there's plenty of jobs available right now. So, um, yeah, maybe cutting out a lot of this COVID aid might actually be the best solution at this point. Um, they, they maybe were passing it out for a little bit too long at this point. Um, but the Biden administration, they don't want to take any kind of responsibility for anything negative that ever happens, of course, so they deny it. Um, I suppose that's natural for a politician, but we all know it's BS. Uh, they're causing a much bigger problem. Again, the solution is sometimes 
worse than the original problem. And in this case, uh, I think the Biden administration and various governments around the world have created more problems than they have uh, than they have been able to help stop the spread of the coronavirus. I don't know if really many of the um, many of the the uh, problem solving methods that have been used over the past year have really been terribly effective. But what they have been effective at doing is bankrupting people, um, putting making people depressed turning people to alcohol, uh, turning people to suicide, all kinds of negative consequences. So, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's quite sad how this was all mishandled. Uh, and, I, you know, it's easy to criticize. It's, I think, harder to implement appropriate actions. But some people implemented great, uh, you know, great responses. I, I, think, I think letting people be free is, is always sort of like the best go-to. You want people to be as free as possible as much of the time as possible um, to do what they think is best for themselves. And I think trying to micromanage, I think actually this is a really great lesson for for all of Americans to see exactly how the government will act when they get a lot more power, right? Because AOC and all the socialists in America, they want the government to run everything. Okay, so look what happened when they had the power uh, during the pandemic, when they could lock people down into their homes, when they could kill businesses. Uh, you know, they did just that. They did all of the nasty things that we expect them to do. They, they mismanaged everything. They messed everything up. So this idea of giving the federal government more power, giving governments more power, yeah, uh, you can see where that goes. Anyway, that's it for my discussion about alcoholism in England. Uh, let's move on to the next story, shall we? Ellen DeGeneres is ending her show as her ratings plummet. As her ratings plummet. Um, I don't know how much anybody cares about this story, but uh, but let's have a look. I think uh, I think it's interesting. I think it's interesting. Ellen DeGeneres, a popular TV show. Uh, you know, it's funny. I I um, I wasn't really like a fan of the Ellen DeGeneres show ever, but I had a friend who was uh, this girl Chelsea, and she used to po- uh, post clips from the Ellen DeGeneres show all the time on Instagram and Facebook and stuff. And so I would watch those clips, which she was posting, and some of them were really funny, you know? I mean, really funny. So I'm actually quite shocked that the Ellen DeGeneres show has plummeted in in ratings. I don't, I don't know why. It's interesting. Let's have a look at this. Talk show queen Ellen DeGeneres is reportedly planning, reportedly planning to end her long-running daytime show next season as she deals with plummeting ratings and continued fallout from her show's workplace misconduct scandal. Um, the outlet said, this would be the Hollywood Reporter, said uh, Ellen DeGeneres is expected to make an official announcement on Wednesday's show. She's expected to sit down with Oprah Winfrey. When you're a creative person, you constantly need to be challenged. And as great as this show is, and as fun as it is, it's just not challenging anymore. Um, it's just not a challenge anymore. Actually, it's it's too much of a challenge, I guess, at this point. <laughs> Um, yeah, I mean, this makes actually this makes some sense. I don't think she's right to say she's not challenged anymore. I think what she's what she should be saying. I think what's probably more true is that she she's gotten bored of it, right? She's kind of been doing the same shtick for, gosh, however I don't know how long she's had this show. How long has she had this show? It's been like what fifteen years or something like that. Anyway, if you're doing the sh- same shtick day after day after day after day for fifteen years. Yeah, you're probably going to get bored of it eventually. So, um, um, she could challenge herself. I think the way she could challenge herself 
is to sit down and think of new ideas to reinvigorate the show, make it funnier, make it better, make it something different. Um, but she doesn't want to do that, so she's just going to quit. Um, I think she's got enough money. She could probably retire, really. Last year, the Ellen DeGeneres show was hit by accusations of workplace misconduct. Several former employees accusing senior management of bullying behavior and sexual misconduct. DeGeneres herself wasn't accused of anything, although some, some say she tolerated the toxic atmosphere. Um, DeGeneres denied she's ending the show because of the scandal. It almost impacted the show. It was very hurtful to me. I mean, very, she told the reporter. But if I was quitting the show because of that, I wouldn't have come back this season. So that's not why I'm stopping. Um, but I, I think it probably has something to do with it. BuzzFeed News reported last year that senior management created an environment where people are mistreated and fired for taking medical leave and bereavement days. Yeah, I was fired from a show in Hollywood once. Uh, this is kind of a funny story. So uh, the star of the show wanted to have a bowling night. So he asked me to mock up a, a poster for bowling night, which is something that you knew I could do because I do Photoshop. So I was like, all right. So I mocked up this poster and I sent to him and one of the images, I photoshopped the head of one of the employees of the show onto the body of, of a character from a movie. And this actor thought it was like really funny. This was a comedy show. And this guy was like, this is the funniest thing I've ever seen. I love this. You're a genius. And so I was asked, and this is a really weird request. I was asked to put this body of the head of one of the employees of the show on the body of this character from another show onto the front of the script, the script for the show. And this is a script that went to like the head of a major TV network and all the other actors and everybody. It was something I, I was like, I don't think I'm supposed to do this. Right. And, um, and they were like, no, you have to, the, the, you know, this actor wants it uh, on there and it's his show. It's his show. So you have to do it. I'm like, eh, fine, whatever. So I did it. And then like a week later I was fired. <laughs> Uh, yeah, yeah, the producer fired me. Uh, I guess he thought it was easier to fire me than to talk to the, uh, this, the actor and be like, oh, no, no, we, we can't have this anymore. So they just fired the guy who was, who created the character and was putting it on the script. So I was gone. I, I had to leave that show. So yeah, I mean, Hollywood's kind of funny, guys. You, you can, I mean, it's always, Hollywood is crazy because people go on these power trips and, they just treat people like garbage. I don't actually think I was treated like garbage. I think that was just a weird situation where that was the easiest solution for them. And yeah, but that's eh, the way Hollywood works, man. It's it's not fair. Hollywood is not a fair environment. It's not like the most talented people are successful in Hollywood. Definitely not. You know, uh, I do think that Ellen DeGeneres is talented. I think she was able to create a very successful show because she's she's funny and she's got this you know, she's got this vision and she, she did everything right. You know, she did everything right. I, I can't, I can't criticize her for, uh, her success was, you know, her success. She was successful. Um, but yeah, I mean, there's a lot of people that I've met in Hollywood that are, are very successful and they have no talent and they have no, uh, they're not intelligent people and you don't know how they're successful. And then there's other people who are amazingly talented, very intelligent people, and they, they can't seem to find any success at all. I mean, I, I have a friend who is, I think, one of the, the best comedians, one of the best um, actors I've ever met. And he cannot get work anywhere. And I don't, I don't really know what his deal is, actually, because he's, he's not even white or straight. So I, I don't know what his deal is. He, he should be able to be successful. I don't, I don't really understand that. But yeah, Hollywood's a weird place, guys. It's a lot about who, who's your friend and stuff like that. And uh, 
things aren't always fair. And I can imagine that it's tough because every job that you do, every production you're on, whether it be a movie or a TV show, it's a massively collaborative effort. Um, you have hundreds of people on these projects a lot of times. Um, and, uh, you, you, you know, you do have to deal with dickheads. I mean, there are a lot of real a-holes in the movie business, uh, you know, in the entertainment business, and you just have to kind of deal with them, right? They're going to be working on your show. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's a weird environment. It's a weird environment. A lot of people are, like, really fake nice to everybody because they're, you know, they just want everybody to like them, and then other people are, are just, they get a they come, some kind of kick out of, it's kind of power trip out of being mean to everybody. It's a very weird town. Very weird town. So any show you're going to be on, you're going to have some real a-holes. But that's just, you know, that's just Hollywood. It's very rare that you have a, a really great set with tons of really great people. Um, here, BuzzFeed News reported that senior management created an environment. We just talked about that. Um, there's also several accusations of sexual harassment, groping, and other forms of misconduct against an executive producer, head writer Kevin Lehman, who has denied the allegations. Uh, the show has suffered a staggering ratings decline since the scandal broke, reportedly losing more than a million viewers on the current season. And I think that's something that people really liked about the Ellen DeGeneres show is that it was a very sort of like, um, you know, it was it was watched by a bunch of middle-aged women, right? And I think they wanted a show that was somewhat clean, um, you know, uh, and they could feel like safe, right? Like a safe space. And once they felt like, oh, there's some scandal here, um, it lost that appeal. It lost the appeal of purity. It was no longer this sort of pure and uh, scandal-free place they could just go watch TV and feel comfortable. Um, the, sh the show has... Okay. DeGeneres didn't discuss the ratings drop-off in her interview with the reporter. Instead, she said the that she remains proud of the show. I'm not the pretty girl who made it in Hollywood because of, because of the way I looked, she said. That's a weird thing for her to say at this point. <laughs> It always amazes me. Like, I always find it fascinating how obsessed some people are with looks. I, I think I've been criticized before by saying that, um, you know, some person's ugly or some person's fat or something like that. But the reason I'm kind of comfortable talking about that stuff isn't because I'm, I'm very critical of people just because they're ugly or I'm critical of people because they're fat or whatever. Um, I'm critical of myself for getting fat, but, <laughs> but that's because that's not... Uh, that's not my typical state. It's because I'm so sedentary doing this job. Um, and I could easily fix it by exercising every day if I... Anyway, whatever. Anyway. So, but, you know, I, I'm not critical of people for being ugly. I'm not critical for being fat. But I do recognize that society does work differently for different kinds of people. Right? Very attractive people, society works one way. Average people, society works another way. Ugly people, society works another way. Fat people, society works another way. And so I do think it's important to identify what the distinctions are for all of those different people. And there are different distinctions for the way society works for uh, black people, white people, Asian people, Jewish people, and that kind of stuff. Um, I don't think in America it's as significant as being good-looking or being ugly. I think being good-looking good and being ugly are much... Um, you're much more likely to, to have a, uh, a different life or for society to perceive you differently, um, as it will if you are black or white, right? Uh, that, that's what I think. I, I genuinely think that. And so I often use those, those different things um, to, to contrast each other here in America. In other countries, it's very different. But in America, certainly, 
um, looks has a huge impact on how society treats you and how you, you're perceived and how you perceive yourself and, and this sort of thing. And I think this is a good indication of that. And obviously Hollywood is a place in particular that is... Hollywood is, I think, falsely perceived as a place that's particularly shallow. In some ways, it definitely is. Um, it's, it's appropriately perceived that way. But weirdly, um, most of the working actors that you see are not that good looking. Like, yeah, big stars are often very good looking. You know, you've got, but only a certain percentage of them. Um, a lot of working actors, just regular folks, are kind of weird looking people. Um, because you don't want everybody on in a movie or everybody on a TV show to be good looking, right? Because then you could have people that actually overshadow the actors. <laughs> and then you've got a show like Silicon Valley, which I just rewatched. Great show. And everybody on that show is weird looking. <laughs> you know, there's very few good looking people on that show. So this idea that Hollywood is particularly shallow and, and obsessed with looks, uh, certainly in some cases, there's some people out here that are like that. But for the most part, I think Hollywood um, actually, uh, not necessarily true. Not always true. A lot of big stars are, are weird-looking folks. Uh, and uh, But I think in, in broader society, yeah, there are benefits, there are drawbacks um, from being good-looking or, or average-looking or different kinds of stuff, uh, fat, skinny. Um, personality actually plays a much bigger role, I think, in people's lives than, than you think. Your outlook, your confidence... Um, how gregarious you are but it's interesting it, it's like her saying that like she has no reason to say that it's like a bizarre thing to say she's kind of an older woman um she's not a she's not a hideously ugly person um it's weird that she says that and so that indicates to me that she still has a hang-up about this right because there are some people who get really hung up on on uh on how good looking they are or how they're perceived physically in society. And this is something that, that she, that she's, she, she wasn't, uh, she wasn't compelled to say anything about this. Nobody, nobody said anything. This wasn't like a response. She, she brought this up herself. I'm not the pretty girl who made it in Hollywood because of the way I looked. That's just very telling to me that this point in her career, how unbelievably successful she is, and she still is hung up on this idea that she's not the prettiest girl in Hollywood. That's weird to me. You're very successful, Alan. You, nobody, nobody's thinking about that. Nobody's thinking about that. Um, I worked from nothing to doing stand-up. And also, I would, ha I would like to say this. I know a lot of very, very good-looking people in Hollywood who are not successful. And I think one of the reasons is because there, are, there is a certain amount of vitriol that you have to deal with if you're very good-looking in Hollywood. Um, there is a certain number, there's a certain percentage of people out here that will just hate you. They'll just hate you if you're very good looking. If you're a woman or a man, they'll just be like, oh, yeah, you're very attractive. Eh. You know, and they just won't like you. They have a kind of resentment of it. So this idea that, oh, being good looking is going to somehow like magically make you a star. How can she still have that perspective? That's totally wrong. Uh, a lot of the most successful people that I've met out here in Hollywood are like regular looking or kind of ugly people. I, this is, this is a, it's an inappropriate perspective of Hollywood. Uh, I worked from nothing to doing stand-up to having this career, and I'm so proud of this show. It's the best thing I've ever done in my life, and I, I miss everything. And so I'll miss everything, but in my gut, I know it's uh, time to do something different. And, and I mean, she is right. She has, from nothing, developed this great show, and she, she has been very successful. But to, to contrast herself with, like, beautiful women and act like beautiful women have such a much easier time of it, that's not true, Ellen. 
that's just not even true. You're mu- you're you have a much better chance of being a successful uh, a success in Hollywood if you're a very very funny woman than if you're a very very attractive woman. So she was at an advantage from the very beginning. <clears throat> she acts like she was at a disadvantage. Not true. You're an advantage, Ellen. Don't pretend that you weren't. Okay. Let's move on to the next story, shall we? Uh, oh, I like this one. This is a good. This is another one about Hollywood to some degree. Oh, it's also about cancel culture. Donald Glover says cancel culture is making TV boring. <laughs> I love this. I love this. It's, it's such a great perspective on this whole thing. So Childish Gambino, which is his rock star name ever since he's become a musician, um, I know him as Donald Glover because one of my favorite shows ever is a show called Community, and he was a, an actor on the show Community. Um, fantastic fantastic uh, comedy actor uh, really great uh, the problem with Donald Glover as I see it is that um, he's a great actor he's a great comedy actor he's, he's got a great personality um, but for whatever reason he he seems to have always had this desire to be taken seriously as a very cool musician as as opposed to a sort of very funny charming actor he he much he would have much rather been perceived as a as a cool person than a funny charming person and i i don't i don't agree with that i don't agree with that um i i think that there is this bizarre desire and i don't know i don't know what you know like rap stars right rap stars are seen as like tough and and cool and like somebody to be admired um you know, sort of like James Bond for British guys. I think for British guys, James Bond is like the ultimate cool guy. Being like James Bond would be awesome. Um, but w- one of the things that I always liked about James Bond when I was a kid is that he's cool, but he's also really funny. So, you know, he'll see somebody, uh, you know, he'll he'll see some like disaster. And he'll make some offhanded comment about it that shocks the guy next to him. And he finds that funny, right? So he'll, so he's, he's actually kind of a comedian in, in some instances, uh, James Bond is. But th- I don't like people who take themselves too seriously. And the great thing about Donald Glover is that when he was this character in Community anyway, he was very self-deprecating. I mean, the, a lot of the comedy came from that. And uh, it was absolutely brilliant. And so the Childish Gambino thing that he does, he takes himself so damn seriously. I find it a little bit irritating, if I'm honest. I mean, I still like him. I loved his character in Community. Another thing about Donald Glover that I don't really like is that there is this um he he's not culturally he's not culturally a very like um you know hardcore black culture black guy you know he's 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 more of like a Cosby show black guy I mean he he speaks and talks like a typical american from a typical american town you know with relatively well educated parents and just you know like me like he, he he seems like the kind of guy that i would have grown up with and been friends with and he's he, and he seems to want to be respected as like um a real black guy you know there there's this concept in black culture of like being really black or being too white there's this kind of thing that goes on and i find that so detestable you know and and look i might be wrong about about Donald Glover. Maybe he doesn't want to be taken seriously as a, as a real black guy or something like that. But I feel, I, I get that sense from him. Uh, 
and I, I even actually like his music. I, I've I've liked his music ever since I found out he was even a mu- musician, which is before he blew up, right? Um, I was like, ha, huh, crap, that guy does music. And I was watching some of his videos. I thought, actually, it's pretty good. I still think he's a good musician. Um, but yeah, and you know, whatever. He's creating a brand for himself. I didn't like that he left community to go be a, a big music star, but whatever. That's what he does. That's what he wanted to do. That's what he is. But and and one of his biggest songs, his biggest music video, um, was something about you know being black in America, and it was like this racist thing. And I kind of lost a lot of respect for him, for him for that because, um, yeah, he he appeared to become this kind of like or express these kind of woke views about race, and I just thought, okay, man, like you've never had a bad day in your life. Like your whole life, you've been a reasonably well off. Like, I looked into his past, and he's like, he had a decent life. Like, he didn't have a bad life. It wasn't like he was the victim of racial abuse in his youth. You know, he he lived a good life. His life was always very good. And so to sit here and say, like, oh, yeah, white people are so bad against black people, and black people are so oppressed and all this kind of crap, it's like... And he, I don't think I've I've ever heard him say anything like that in an interview, but his music video kind of showcased this, and it was a little bit of a scandal scandal it wasn't really a scandal it was just kind of like all right you know he's trying to make this provocative statement through his music and it's like you've had a very good life white people have always been good to you this idea that white people are bad you know is not true you know is not true so that kind of pissed me off but now maybe he's somewhat redeeming himself because although this isn't about race or anything like that it's about cancel culture at least we see that he has a decent perspective here on cancel culture and he can see that cancel culture is a problem so he's admits the TV films are boring because people are afraid of getting canceled. Um, and this is something I hadn't really considered before, the fear of getting canceled. My perspective on the reason that TV shows and films have become boring, and I've, I've, I've postulated about this quite a lot myself, um, is that people want to go to their, to their Hollywood parties and talk to their Hollywood friends about their Hollywood shows and there's this kind of one-up upsmanship in in Hollywood, like, oh, I made this amazing uh, TV show that explores uh, the problems with race and society and how you know evil police officers are and stuff like this. And it's, oh, really? Oh, well, I made this amazing TV show about uh, feminism and how uh, you know abortions are so great and, and liberating and all this kind of stuff, right? So everybody's always competing about who's going to make the next show, TV show or movie that. Um, um, signals their virtue the strongest, right? Uh, and I feel like that's how Hollywood works, right? It's like a, it's like a click. It's sort of like high school. You get your popular kids, you got your nerds, you got your your athletes, uh, your your um, sports stars, and and all of these, uh, you know, the the kids that are in student government are always uh, trying to one up each other on uh, how how woke they can be out here in Hollywood. Uh, and so that's why you're getting a lot of these TV shows made this way. And another thing I've noticed that's really annoyed me, which Donald Glover probably would not agree with me on, is that they tend to be hiring a lot a lot of people who I, I don't think are the best actors for the parts um, because they're trying to sort of inject um, racial diversity into everything. So you can have a project. Like I noticed there was some project on Netflix that was set in like the, the uh, Renaissance. Uh, and I'm looking at this 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 i don't know what it is trailer of some tv show and it's like on a on some kind of a ship it's kind of like a pirate ship um but the 
the the the the captain of the ship is a black woman. I'm just watching this. And I'm thinking, um, how how is it set in like the Renaissance times, and the captain of the ship is a black woman? That doesn't make any sense. And uh, it's not a pirate ship; it's like a merchant ship of some kind. Uh it just it just like not, not it didn't make any sense, right? It doesn't make any sense, but. Hollywood wants to inject all this virtue signaling crap, you know, this racial diversity and stuff like that into their films. And their films become anachronistic. But mo- most importantly, I think they become boring, like uh, Donald Glover is saying. Uh, they're so focused on this part, this virtue signaling political part of filmmaking, and, and uh, that they're forgetting just to tell good stories, right? So they've got, you know, I think it's actually easier to write a story, a good story, when you have solid, tight parameters. So when you say, okay, this is the world within which you're writing a story. Now go, right? Uh, these are the different elements you have to insert and make it work. That somehow, that that kind of restriction actually um, somehow kind of triggers creativity. It it um, it ignites creativity in people. If you, give, if you tell somebody, write the best story of all time and you don't give them any parameters at all, it's much, much harder to write a story than if you say, okay, it's going to be set in Paris in 1600, and this is, these are the events, these are the circumstances. You're going to write a, a story about a girl, and you, know, you give them all the elements. Then it's much easier for people to write a story, right? Then, okay, okay, I know where I am, and then boom. So when you're writing, um, one of the most important things about writing is setting parameters for yourself, like trying to figure out what is the world in which we're living, who's the villain, what do they want? You know, you've got to ask yourself all these questions to write good stories. Um, so, and what you're doing by asking all these questions, you're setting up all the parameters, right? And then once you have the parameters all set up, then the story kind of writes itself a lot of times. Um, but in this case, I don't think it works like that. So what they're doing, instead of setting up the parameters of the storytelling, what they're doing is they're saying, this is going to be the race of the characters. And we're going to set it, here are some of the parameters, but then you've got to inject all this racial stuff and we got to talk about feminism and we got to put all this kind of stuff in. And once you start getting into this political arena where you're starting to express political ideas, a lot of times that actually, um, that, that actually derails the story. That actually messes things up a lot of the times because you're, you're no longer trying to tell a good story. You're trying to express a political message. Um, sometimes that can be done well. There are instances when I've written great stories with, with political messages. Um, but the vast majority of the time, I, I think most writers are derailed by that. Most writers can't seem to, to, to do that very well. What would be better is if they just wrote a good story. Um, now, do you have to have some kind of um, moral morality in your story? Yeah. But here, here's the thing about that. Most people already know what is good and what is bad. Right, and and I think, you know what, I, I I've just had a bit of an epiphany. So maybe I'll express this to you guys. Everybody knows what's good. Everybody knows what's bad. So to make a character do the right thing or struggle to do the right thing is very easy if you're on the same page as the people watching the film. If on the other hand you want to express to the to the uh, people in the audience that what they think is not actually what what they think is good isn't good, and what they think is bad isn't bad, and you try to make a film that actually contradicts the audience's perception of what good and evil is, then a lot of times they'll be watching the film or the TV show and they'll, they'll be confused. They won't understand what the hell this show is about because your perceptions of what's good and evil are different than what people watching the show's perceptions of good and evil are. 
and they won't understand it, right? They won't understand what the motivations of your characters are. They won't understand what the intentions of your, your characters are because they, they won't understand who's good and who's bad or what the what, what anything's about because instead of working within the parameters of already existing uh, morality and ethics that we already have here in America, you are you're going into this like bizarre idea of what is good and what's bad. And, and actually, um, I think that's what the Wachowski brothers ended up doing wrong. So the Wachowski brothers are these atheists, and they have a very specific set of values that they believe that are completely contradictory to everything that most people believe is good and most people believe is evil. And they knew that when they were making The Matrix. So that when they made The Matrix, they actually tried to circumvent... Um, well, they, 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 they tried to use the code of ethics that they knew everybody else had to make a movie that expressed certain messages that they liked. Um, and then when they did that movie about the anarchist, which I can't really remember, the Guy, For the, the Guy Fox one. They made the Guy Fox movie, the name of which I cannot remember. Um, they did the same thing, right? They tried to use certain kind of elements of morality. And their attempt in, in those movies, I think, was to kind of shift morality of people um, in, in a way that they liked a little bit better. But once they had made those two films, they went on to make a string of failures. And the problem with their their later films and, and, and TV show and, and different projects they were doing is that they just basically abandoned the morality of regular people and they just kept injecting their own morality into everything without even, without even considering uh, how people were going to perceive it, I don't think. Uh, and so it just got weirder and weirder and their stuff became less and less popular and they're now kind of failures, really. I mean, The the Matrix was obviously a huge success. Um, their follow-up to that, the the Guy Fox film, was also a, a success. But then everything else was kind of a failure after that. They're kind of these weirdos that everybody just uh, ignores. And I think all of Hollywood has kind of gotten that direction. They, they don't have the same um, moral structure as the Wachowski brothers, but they do have uh, their own sort of woke morality that it's just not popular nobody nobody perceives the woke morality and goes yes that's what i want to teach my kids i mean maybe a few people do but i mean it, it's it's just wrong and and what you end up with is films that stories that just don't make any sense you're not paying attention to the story and when you do pay attention to the story you're just filling it with all this propaganda and it doesn't make good stories it doesn't make good stuff so and this guy's finally recognized this um, actor and Grammy award-winning musician Donald Glover says television shows and movies are becoming increasingly boring because people are afraid of getting canceled. Glover, also known by his stage name Childish Gambino, made the comments via his official Twitter account. He says, saw people on here having a discussion about how tired they are of reviewing boring film and t uh, TV shows. We're getting boring stuff and not even experimental mistakes because people are afraid of getting canceled. So they feel like they can only experiment with uh, the aesthetic, like with how the film looks, uh, also because of the, uh, also because some of them know that they're not good. <laughs> well, that's right, and um, and this is an idea that I hadn't really considered that a lot of these people maybe um, maybe they want to do other stories, but they know they can't do those stories because they're afraid if they do them they'll get canceled, right? And uh, and so that they so they they. They go the safe route of making the woke material that maybe they don't even want to make. Um, with the people that he says, uh, some of them know they're not that good. Um, I do think that there is a big problem right now in Hollywood of, of, of hiring people, like I said before, because they're black or because they're gay or something like that or because they're a woman. 
and I mentioned this before on the show, I've worked for female directors and all but one time, the female director was a total psycho, right? Uh, and in, at least in my experience, that tended to be, I think, this is my perspective, this is my perception of it, um, is that these women wanted to be taken seriously and they thought that the way men are taken seriously is that you act like assholes. Um, but almost every director I've ever had that's been a, a man has been like a decent person, has been like a, you know, a respectable person, uh, you know, uh, nice to everybody, respects the crew. I mean, you do get a-hole male directors as well, but for the most part, you get pretty chill people. But these women that I've had directing are just very aggressive. Oh. Valeria's working on a project with The weekend. It looks like... She's asking me if it, if it's if this is the weekend. I don't actually know. I don't think it's him actually. Hey, doesn't matter. Um, yeah, yeah. And these women—they're very angry. Uh, they, they act very angry. They act very assholeish because they think that's how they're going to get respect. But uh, as I've said before, when men do this or women do this or whoever, it doesn't really matter what your gender is. People are nice to you to your face because they don't want to get yelled at. They don't want to get fired. They don't want you to like lose your mind. They, they're scared of you in the sense that, that people are scared of crazy people. Right? They're not scared of you like, oh, if I get in a fight with this person, I'm going to lose. They're scared of you like, oh, I don't want to deal with this. you know. Uh, but then when they go, go home at night and they talk to their wife or, or husband or whatever, and their spouse says, uh, hey, how was your day? They're just like, my director is such a, an asshole. You know, n- <laughs> they're going to talk about you poorly behind your back. So... Um, I, you know, I think this idea of hiring people because they're a woman or because, because they're Hispanic or because they're black or because they're gay or something like this, it will only end in disaster. You have to hire people because they're good. Uh, is it possible to find a, a good female director? Yeah, I, yeah, I, it is. It's just very unusual. It's just very rare, uh, which I actually think makes really good female directors kind of special in a way, you know, um, you know, do you get good uh, black directors, good Asian directors? Good, you know, of course, of course, you get directors of every kind of type that are very good. But the vast majority of really great directors are white men, and uh, you know, that's not about you know the world being racist. That just turns out that's just how things are. You know, if we find in ten years that um, you know a bunch of Chinese women start directing films and they turn out to be way better than you know any male director ever was, I'll say, okay, Asian women. Turns out they're the best directors in the world. I don't really have a problem with that, but uh, um, that hasn't been the case so far. And this idea of not allowing white men to direct because they're white men is ridiculous. Um, we're going to take this pool of people who turn out to be the best at a particular job. We're going to say you're not allowed to do that job anymore. And so, uh, yeah, you, you are. And this is true of writers. This is true of directors. This is true of actors. This is true of every kind of aspect of filmmaking. They're trying to supplant all the white men with every other kind of group, right? Unless you're gay. If you're a gay white man, you can do it. And uh, so you're getting inferior talent um, is another big problem. And uh, so he's not going that far in saying that. But a lot of people, like, went nuts uh, after he posted this. A lot of people were just like, oh, you know, Donald Glover isn't woke. We don't like him. So now Donald Glover is at risk of getting canceled. But anyway... The problem with me is that if I, I got to not do Hollywood stories, because if I do Hollywood stories, I have, I have too much of a strong perspective on all the Hollywood stuff. So 
Uh, as entertaining as this is for me, I do think we should move on to the next story. Um, unfortunately, this story is also about famous people, um, but it's not about Hollywood, so I'll be quick with this one. Um, Megan and Harry partner with Woke, Procter & Gamble. Uh, so this is, I imagine, to be expected. Oh, the reason I actually wanted to post this was that, uh, let me go to YouTube, go to Procter & Gamble. Let's see if they if they have a, there we go. I saw recently that there was a, um, that there was a new woke video from Procter & Gamble. Uh, Procter & Gamble has gone, I think, kind of insane um, with their wokeness. Like, everything is now super, super woke. I don't remember... I don't remember what the video was that I saw. Let's just watch... Oh, this is it. This is it. Widen the screen. I was actually going to do a video about this. This is the most disgusting thing I've seen in a while. Okay, so... Um, let me go ahead and read a little bit of this. Oh, you guys getting a sneak peek at the last story there. Okay, so Prince Harry and Meghan Markle announced a year-long, years-long global partnership with Procter & Gamble. Procter & Gamble has got to be the most woke company in the world. I mean, they, they're the ones that produce Gillette. And, uh, you know, and they lost billions of dollars because of their woke Gillette campaign. And yet they, they, they're doubling down and tripling down and quadrupling down on this woke crap. Meghan Markle and Prince Harry announced a new years-long global partnership Tuesday with Procter & Gamble. The news was shared through a press release on the Archwell Foundation's website. Um, let's see here. Based on shared values, the partnership will focus on gender equality, more inclusive online spaces, and resi- uh, resilience and impact through sports. Oh, well, they said sport. In the UK, s- sports, the plural, is just sport. There's no S. Weird, right? Um... The press release said it will build on joint aspirations most recently demonstrated by our work together in support of Global Citizens Vax Live, the concert to reunite the world, uh, an event that inspired vaccine confidence worldwide and mobilized more than 300 million, blah, 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 blah. Who cares? Oh, Valeria said that's him. Okay, so she is working with The Weeknd. Very good. Oh, cool. The Weeknd is very popular. I, I mean, I like his stuff. It's fine. I'm not a huge fan. All right, well, let's have a look at this. So, um, yeah, so um, a couple of woke celebrities are working with woke Procter & Gamble. Not huge news, uh, but the reason I wanted to show that is because I wanted to show you guys this video, which I find incredibly annoying. Um, Yeah, so I'm just going to play it for you. Next. 
ask yourself why. These are the black stories we've been shown. A narrow view that limits our understanding. Let's widen the screen so we can widen our view. All right, so that is a Procter and Gamble ad. Um, what super woke ad? And I'm gonna probably do a video on this for my uh, uh, other stuff for Mr. Reagan. But um, why did I want to show that? Uh, to me, this ad is incredibly weird uh it's 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 racist it's kind of um it's offensive i think to both black people and white people and um you know what they're obviously trying to say here is that uh, uh basically white people think that black people are all criminals and horrible people and therefore uh you are all bad because your expectations are bad now uh, what do they show right they show uh a guy in a kind of um you know, in, in like chains, in a sort of like a gangbanger looking car. And you think, okay, well, what is he doing? Who, who knows what he's doing? You know, it's weird. When I first saw this ad, I literally had no idea what that, because that guy doesn't really look like a gangbanger. He just looks like an, like he's in a car that like maybe gang members might drive. But he didn't look like a gangbanger to me. So I had no idea what to expect from that guy. Um, the kids that were shopping at the... Um, uh, convenience store kept looking around suspiciously. That's the reason why they look suspicious. It's not because they're black. It's because they're going like this all the time. Right? That's why they look suspicious. It's not because they're black, okay? You obviously film them looking around suspiciously, like they're they're checking out, making sure they're not going to get caught doing something. Um... Yeah, so if you're going to film a bunch of kids looking around concerned that they're going to get caught, yeah, you think they're, they, of course, you're going to look at them suspiciously. It's not because they're black. But uh, then what do they do? <laughs> what do they do? They have all these reveals, right? They have all these reveals. Basically, like, look, black people aren't criminals. Black people are good. Look, when, when this, this, when this guy that you think is a gangbanger is rolling down the street, what's he really doing? He's going to see his mom. Look, what a great guy he is. And uh, <laughs> when these kids are looking around suspiciously at the convenience store, what do they do? They're actually going to pay for their stuff. Like, look how awesome they are. They're actually paying for their stuff. They're not, they're not stealing anything. I bet you thought they were going to steal, but they didn't steal. Uh, and, uh, and then the craziest one to me, the craziest one to me is the pregnant woman with her kids going to the bus stop, right? They show a bus stop. They show the woman coming up to the bus stop, and she's pregnant. She's got a couple of kids, and she doesn't look very happy. 
and uh and then the, her husband comes and picks them up and 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 uh gives one of the kids a hug and everything and puts them in the minivan and drives off and uh and it's like look i bet you thought this is a single mother but actually her her black husband didn't leave her and in fact he, he didn't abandon his kids and actually yeah this guy is a good father and i bet you thought that that wasn't true did you but it's true it's true and uh i i like it, the weird thing about that was it never occurred to me that her husband had left her uh, or, or anything like that until I got the reveal and I realized what they were trying to say there, uh, uh, right? And it, But, I mean, that's, that commercial is so flippin' weird. It's like they play on all these black stereotypes, negative black stereotypes, and they try to, they try to make the case... That, oh, I bet you're going to believe that this is what's going on here. I bet you think black people are bad, but actually black people aren't bad. Um, it's a completely pointless video. Some black people are bad, Procter & Gamble. Some black people are bad, okay? Some black fathers do abandon their families. Some black kids do shoplift. Uh, some black people are gangbangers. Um, that's just true. Uh, sorry, that's reality. And for for all your like stupid like uh, clever short films or whatever, it's not going to change that. Uh, uh, the perspective of white people is not that every single woman, pregnant black woman walking around with two kids is a single mother. Uh, uh, you know, white people do not see every single black uh, young black teen in a convenience store and think they're a shoplifter. Um, we don't see every single black guy driving around in, uh, I don't know what kind of car that was, and we think gangbanger. I mean, we just don't. White people just don't perceive black people that way. And this is a perfect example of what I was talking about with the childish Gambino stuff, uh, the Don Donald Glover's, uh, what he was saying, right? Um, obviously, Procter & Gamble are more interested in virtue signaling in this commercial than they are in actually selling their products because they don't even show any products in the commercial. They just like, black people are good people. That's their whole message of the commercial. And not only is it not a compelling commercial in the way that they want it to be, it it's it's it doesn't even resonate as remotely true to the people that it's supposed to resonate with, right? So you remember the Gillette commercial where they're basically saying men aren't very good people and women women are uh, uh, need to be respected more and men are pigs and men are horrible and you know toxic masculinity and all that stuff. Um, this commercial is the same thing, but with with about race, right? They're like. Like, white people are bad because they perceive black people as bad and they should be ashamed of themselves and realize that black people are actually very good people and shame on you for thinking the things that you just thought. Well, don't make a movie about a bunch of kids, you know, on the lookout, you know, when they're, when they're grabbing a bunch of products off the shelf. Uh, whether they're white or black, you're going to look at those kids sneaking around and you're going to think that they're probably going to shoplift. It has nothing to do with their race. Um, and this idea that we see a, a a woman pregnant walking down the street with her kids, you think that we just expect they're all going to be single and none of them are going to have husbands? I mean, I don't think that. I mean, maybe some people do. I certainly didn't, didn't think that. Hey, buddy. Aston didn't think it either. Um, and uh, the idea that that guy, because of the kind of car he drove and the kind of chains that he was wearing, that somehow we think he's a gangbanger or something. I'm not really sure what they were getting at with that guy, actually. Um, or what they thought we were supposed to think about him. Um, that's my guess. That's my best guess. But, uh, yeah, I didn't think anything negative about him. I didn't think negative negative about the woman. Um, the the kids, I had no idea what was going to happen with that. that but, uh, yeah, they did try to make them look sneaky. What was really weird is that they made the guy who was 
running the convenience store like this the whole time. And then at the end, he was like, you know, as if they're all like, they, oh, they, these are just neighborhood kids. I, I, I totally, I've, I've seen them day after day for years, and uh, I love those kids. And well, why were you looking all like suspicious at first, then, huh? Um, yeah, I, I, it's weird. I, I, I think that uh, the people who wrote that ad and were trying to produce that ad thought that they were doing something very clever, but. Yeah, it's is painful. It's painful to watch. It's uh, that's what you get with like the th- thinking about woke things, like thinking, okay, we got to push this woke agenda. Um, you ended up with crappy products. But uh, anyway, so that is the company that Meghan Markle and and Prince Harry have decided to uh, sign a contract with, and they're now going to work with. Um, of course they are. Of course they are. All right, that's some short news. Let's move on to the next story, shall we? This is the last story of the day, um, and this is a good one. Chelsea Clinton calls for a crackdown on anti-vax social media posts. Hey, what are you doing? What are you doing? What are you doing? Come on. All right. You got to go somewhere. All right, you guys want to just hang out with Aston for a little bit? He can hang out with you guys. Uh, but I do want to click there so that we can look at this story, huh? Uh, speaking at a Vatican-organized conference meant to promote open dialogue, Chelsea Clinton called for a global effort to crack down on all anti-vax social media posts or anything that's skeptical of the official narrative. The statement made in a pre-recorded segment that featured questions for the erstwhile first daughter, uh, Clinton was asked to respond to a query about vaccine hesitancy. Uh, what can be done to encourage a wider vaccine adoption? Clinton chose to opine about limiting freedom of speech and cracking down on social media posts, but didn't touch the issue of access and the ongoing debate about waiving IP protections. What are you doing, buddy? All right. Yep, you can hang out. Um, what can be done about to encourage wider vaccine adoption? Uh, Clinton chose... Yeah, sorry. Uh, I lost my place, apparently. Let's see. Something the White House recently said it would support, even as much of the developed world opposes the plan, even if the EU signaled that it would. it's open to discuss it. Um, oh, right. Oh, that, that's what they're talking about. Okay, so they're saying the intellectual property of, of COVID vaccines needs to be waived, uh, regardless of the wishes of those who develop the technologies, right? So... Um, what that means is the companies that created the vaccines can't, can no longer really make money off them. Um, they, their technology can basically be distributed freely to everybody. Uh, I think that that's something that the, the companies that created the vaccine have to be able to choose to do. Um, this is, this is, <laughs> that's quite a severe measure. Um, they've, they've actually, um, They've actually reached their, their, their nearing capacity in America in terms of everybody who wants to be vaccinated. Um, everybody who wants to be vaccinated um, can get vaccinated. Anybody who wants to be vaccinated can be vaccinated. So we're at a point where if you've not been vaccinated and you want to be, you can go. Um, you're just being lazy if you're not. And if you don't want to be vaccinated, you, you shouldn't have to, right? Um, what, is the, what is the problem? If, 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 if everybody who's been vaccinated, who wants to be vaccinated, has been vaccinated, what does it matter if somebody else that doesn't want to be vaccinated, doesn't get vaccinated. You're already protected. Even if they get infected, you're good. You've got the antibodies. You're good. Um, 
anyway. But there's this push to like force everybody to get this vaccine. It's irrational. It's totally irrational. You're very distracting, you know that, buddy? He needs attention. He's bored. Um, so she writes, I personally very strongly believe there has to be more intensive and international and coordinated global regulation of the content on social media platforms, she said. We know that the most popular video across all of Latin America for the past few weeks uh, that now has tens of millions of views is just an anti-vax, anti-science screed that YouTube has just refused to take down. I don't know what the hell she's talking about. Um, Clinton added that anti-vaccine content created in the U.S. flourishes around the world due to social media like YouTube and Facebook. Um, now, let me just say where, where I, before I read her second quote here, before I express, um, or before I read that, let, let me just express my view uh, on vaccines, which is that I, I genuine, generally think that, that vaccines are safe. But this vaccine is experimental. Uh, there are consequences uh, taking the vaccine that we were not fully aware of yet, potentially, potentially. 